the remain where we just were for Heather. I had many jobs. I was a professional rock picker for a couple years when I was like 10 and 11 and 12. And then after that, I, I moved up the ranks to professional detasseler, which is a little bit more glorious than picking rocks. Um, and, then I, and then I had another job, and I did some construction after that for a few years. But my favorite job was, was mowing lawns. And I worked for, I don't know if he's here, but I worked for Irvin's lawn mowing service for a couple years. Are there Irvin's here? No, well, they're. Well, I can I can dote on them a little bit now. Um, they're like they're the best lawn mowing service company probably in the nation. Um, maybe even in the runnings for best in the world. So if you're looking for a company, they're great. And the reason I loved working for Bruce was because he was the best boss. I mean, what what kind of boss gives you his convertible car and says, "Enjoy it. Go take your now wife out on dates." What kind of boss lets you come home from a long day of working and, and invites you in to be with his family, to eat with them, to go down to the lake and go barefoot water skiing for a couple hours? Um, I mean, what kind of boss just lets you sort of run and manage your schedule however you want to as long as you finish the work? But there was a couple things. There was three rules, three things that Bruce had for, for me, probably for others as well. The three rules of lawn mowing. The first one is don't ever, ever, ever drive over a napkin or a Kleenex or any trash. Because you know, you know that. If you've ever mowed and you've run over something like that, it's just shredded into like a million pieces. And you can't leave it there, especially in your lawn mowing company. You have to pick it all up, so that takes forever. So don't drive over any trash. The second one is make sure you finish every lawn. You can't, you can't not do someone's lawn. Grass keeps growing, and all of a sudden you've got two feet of grass you're trying to cut through. And the third... The third is always make sure you're driving straight lines. Bruce's, the, the Irvin Lawn Mowing Service is one of those companies that comes and like goes around a tree like 10 times, and then you look at it and you're like, great, I'm done. It looks horrible like in the sense of all the lines everywhere. They, they drive in straight lines. Now, if you, if you work in the city, it's a little easier because you have city like square yards, you know, you can drive the lines of the yard. And, and so in the country, it's a little bit more difficult. You can do that. There's still those lines, but one of the things that's difficult in the country is that as you're trying to make straight lines, the way, well, let me take a step. The way that they would make the lines is there'd be one that would run down the property, one that would run horizontal, and then there'd be two that run vertical in opposite directions. So every month you're essentially doing the same pattern. And uh, the, side, the straight ones down the property and horizontal to the property, those are a little easier because you have something to, to, to judge kind of the, the perimeter of the property. But when you go diagonal, it's a little bit more challenging. And so this is something that I had to learn how to do. 
and you pick, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but you, you go to the corner of the lot, and let's say it's three-acre lot or something like that, and you pick a spot out in the distance. So I'm looking at the in all things back there on the wall. And then you just start going for it right through the middle of the lawn. It's, it goes against every grain of, within you that says, you know, you're, you're, how you're mowing. You don't want to do this, but you do it. And you pick a destination, and the hope is that you would drive the lawnmower directly into that spot that you picked. And so as I started doing this, I would drive along. I'd, I'd be driving, and I would, I'd kind of be glancing down at the tires and looking to the sides and, and making sure everything's working, make sure everything's coming out. By the time I got to the end, I'd look back, and my line would just be all over the place. I'm like, that's a horrible line. So you have to correct it. So the next time I'd try it, and I'd, I'd go, okay, I can't do that again. So I'd pick that spot again. And I would go, and then I don't want to break rule number one, so, I, so there's trash or there's sticks or whatever that would get shredded, so you have to go around them, right? Let's say it's off to the side, and I see it. Now I, I take my eyes off that point, and I fixate on that and go, okay, I'm going to miss it, just barely, like two inches. So I'll just keep going. By the time I get to the end, I realize that it was pretty good, but I had a kind of a curve right around where that stick was, so I have to recorrect that. So as I got better, I, I realized that I would have to fixate on that spot, and then I would just have to use my periphery. And I would just drive, and you just don't, you just lock in on that. You just keep going. And by the time you get close to that destination, you hit indirectly into the mower or on the tire or whatever, you can turn around and look and see that you have a straight line, perfectly straight, so that when you're done in this rotation, it looks like target field, the way they mow. And it's immaculate. And that's what makes them such a great mowing company. That's similar, as I think about that, similar to the way that we live as believers in relation to Jesus. We come and we meet him. And we're changed by him. And as we continue to press on towards him, we fixate on things around us. And our path becomes less straight and more wiggly. Even, even if as we meet him, we see, okay, Jesus, you're changing me into this. I'm going to continue to press into you. Maybe I focus less and less on things, but occasionally I still look back on the side and I realize that I, at this point now I'm swerving away from the king. And so I, I go back towards him. And so we take our eyes off of Jesus and we focus on the things that are around us. However, the life of a believer is this, that as we continue to grow in Jesus, as we continue to follow him, he continues to teach us and to show us who we are as children of God, And in light of that, he shows us how we can then live, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, we can't live as children of God if we don't know who we are as children of God. And we can't be a child of God without living as a child of God. They go hand in hand. And so this week, kind of these next two weeks, my hope is to focus in this week on on the being, understanding who we are, who God is making us into, and how we enter into that with him. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll hit a little bit later in the portion of the text of John 15, and, and we'll focus on the doing and the living in light of, of abiding in Christ and in light of what God is doing within us, now we can begin to live differently. And this is, for me, a rather timely sermon and a rather timely week of study and, and preparation, because this week, he's specifically shown me as I've spent time with him that there's an area of my life that I've sought to, to live biblically and live in a way that would honor God, but I've focused on that thing too much. I've focused there and how I can begin to do differently, and I've forgotten the one who is making me able to even live that way. 
And so maybe you find yourself in a similar place, and if that's the case, we can just go in this together. And this, many of you probably have done a lot of study and abiding in Jesus, but this text is one of great depth, and I feel like I'm inadequate in much of it to be able to even bring it before you guys, because there's, it's so much deeper than I've even ever experienced. And, um, and so my hope is that as we enter in, that the Holy Spirit would teach us and give us revelation to the things that we haven't known or experienced or seen before, and that we would grow in our understanding of who he is and who he's making us into. So let me pray this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can come before you. Thank you that we can gather together in your name, that we can center our lives and our time around you because we want to be with you. We want to be in you. We want to know you more. And we want to live in a way that will honor you as we live our lives today. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you teach us, that you would give us revelation individually and corporately into, into this whole thought of abiding in Jesus and what, what we're able to live in as we live our lives. So we give you praise for this morning. We ask for your movement among us. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read, let's uh, flip into John chapter 15. Your version might be a little different. I'm reading out of the ESV. It should be up on the board, on the projector. And we're just going to read verses 1 through 11. And like I said earlier, we're going to kind of stay, we're going to, we'll read it, but we won't stay a lot in verse 7 and 8. We'll, Lord willing, enter into some of that next week. So he starts in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So as we consider this morning one of the parts of, ab- of abiding in Jesus, we're going to center our time around specifically the vine dresser, the Father, the vine, and the branch, and the relationship there. And we're also going to dive directly into the relationship between the branch and the vine. So all three, and then ultimately between us and Jesus and how we live. So let's look at the Father's work. In verse 1, I'm just going to kind of preface this, but Jesus starts out and says, I am the true vine. There's an illusion, there's a picture in the Old Testament that, that God gives to us in Isaiah chapter 5 of, of God choosing his people Israel as a, as a vineyard, cho- a choice vine. And he, 
he clears the land, he picks the most fertile soil, and he plants them, and his desire is that they would bear fruit, good fruit. But what happens is they end up bearing wild grapes, not of which God intended for them. And they fail in what he's intended for them. And Jesus here is showing us, I'm the true vine. I'm the one who has not failed. I'm the one who has remained faithful. So Jesus is the vine, and then he says, my father Our Father in heaven, God, is the vine dresser. And he starts and it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. There's three things that I want to pull out of this, just this one verse, that I believe are significant as we think about the vine dresser, as we think about God and our relation to him and what he's doing. And so the first point is trusting in the goodness of the Father. We're going to believe that the Father is good, and we're going to place all our trust in Him. No matter what we're missing, even as Jay shared a little bit this morning, we might not see the big picture, but we're going to trust in Him. And so we can trust Him in how He judges. Obviously, He's making some some discernment here on the branch, and He's looking at the health of the branch. But the thing with God is, He's not deceived. He sees beyond what is physically In front of us. He sees beyond what is seemingly a healthy branch. Now you can have a branch that is unhealthy and likely it's going to bear unhealthy fruit. But you can also have a branch that looks healthy and and bears nothing. And so that's what God is, is determining between here as he speaks about this. The second thing is that God isn't satisfied with a branch that's merely just connected to the vine. It's not, it's not good enough. He's not looking just for that. Oh, just connect into Jesus. That's everything. That's, that's all of it. But he's looking for the outcome of our lives. He's looking for the fruit that comes forth from that connection. Scripture talks about how as followers of Jesus, our, the way that we live and the fruit from, our life will, fruit from our life will show ultimately who we're following, ultimately who we're serving. And as people, as we look around at, our, at other people, and even as we look at ourselves, we make poor we make poor judgments. We don't understand. I mean, how many of us, even as we look at our own hearts, Scripture talks about how every thought and intention of man is, is good, but God weighs the spirit. So the motivation of the heart of man is, is seemingly pure and good, but God is the one who weighs the spirit. So we even deceive ourselves. We enter in like, yeah, my heart's pure here. My heart's right. And then maybe God rebukes us or he shows us in his word, yeah, my heart wasn't right. So God's not fooled even though we are. And even as we look at brothers and sisters and at times make judgments, we need to be careful and tread lightly because even though Scripture talks about judging the church being in, and, and considering the lives of each other and the fruit that we're bearing, he also talks about how the judgment that we place upon another is the same standard by which we will be measured. And so we need to be careful as we enter into that. And ultimately, we just need to trust in the judgment of God. That he knows what is, he, he sees the difference between the just and the unjust. Between the right and the pure and the evil. He sees those things even though we might not see those things. So we need to trust in the perfect judgment of the father, of the vine dresser. The second thing is we can trust him in how he cares. He cares for the well-being of the vine. He cares for both the vine and the branches. He loves both of them. And as we live our lives connected to the vine producing fruit... We, dis- we ultimately display the glory of the vine dresser. And as you think about a, a person who makes a building, just an immaculate building or a, or a-, or a picture, a painting, 
that painting displays the glory of the person who made it. So as we think about God, he's, a, he's about the well-being of the vine and, and the production of the vine because ultimately that displays the glory of God. As he says in verse 8, we can look at it. He says, by this, my father, Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So it's significant. God is concerned with the fruit that we bear and so he cares for the vine. He cares for the branches in that way. And ultimately, he's concerned with what displays his glory, but he's also concerned with what displays the glory of the vine. Because right after that, let me read the beginning again, he says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And then he says this, And so prove to be my disciples. So the way that Jesus disciples, the way that you and I as followers of Jesus live, and the fruit that we bear ultimately is a testament to the one that we worship. The vine, Jesus, he's ultimately glorified in the way that we live and in the fruit that we bear. And so God cares for the vine and he cares for the well-being of the vine and also the production of the vine. Because it brings him glory and it brings glory to the Son as well. And lastly, we can trust him in how he works his vine and his will. God's in control. Like the vine dresser, as I already mentioned, he's not satisfied with merely being connected to the vine. But rather, he's concerned, like I said, with the fruit that we bear. And he's concerned, we see that concern because even just in this text, seven times it talks about how, it says the, the fruit, it talks about the fruit that we bear. And so we see that he cares about that. And he's also not satisfied, so he's not satisfied with just someone being connected to the vine. He's also not satisfied with those that are connected. He's not satisfied with them just producing the fruit that they're already producing. Because he says, in this text, he says, but for those that do bear fruit, he prunes them that they might bear more fruit. If you guys, I grew up on an apple orchard, and understand pruning a little bit. If any of you understand pruning, this will make a little bit more sense, but I want to invite us all into that. What this, this concept of pruning is, in, in the seasons that, the, that the, the tree or the vine isn't producing, i.e. here, winter, Okay, so with apple trees, we prune in the wintertime because pruning in the middle of the season can be detrimental to the health and the well-being of the tree and also can prevent fruit, some fruit from being, um, being produced just because you're cutting off limbs. And so the hope is that as you cut off limbs of the tree or cut off limbs of the vine, that all of the energy of that vine can go directly into those specific branches and directly into that specific fruit. Does that make sense? So that's, what we're, that's the picture that we see here as we talk about God pruning. And as we think about us as the branches, Jesus says we are the branches and God is pruning us. As we think about how he's changing us and what he's making us into with the purpose of bearing more fruit. And as I think about, as I was thinking about that this week, there's a few texts that even talk about yielding, the life of yielding or production or the fruit that we bear, or the unfruitfulness that we bear as God prunes. So there's three specific things that I want to look at as far as how God prunes us, what he does that changes us that we might be more effective at producing fruit for his kingdom and ultimately for his glory. And the first is that he disciplines. Hebrews 12 verse 6, I'm just going to jump into a few passages. So just try to listen carefully about this concept of disciplining and the love and care of the Father and ultimately what's being produced. So Hebrews 12, 6. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges or whips every son he receives. 
Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof or his correction. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is a verse that we use all the time in our home. Son, do you know why I'm disciplining you? I don't know, he says. Or he doesn't like it or whatever. Son, I'm disciplining you because I love you. In the same way that God disciplines those that he loves, just like a father and the son whom he delights, myself and my son, we see that picture of God's love and God's discipline. If I tell my son, if, if I didn't love you, I would let you do whatever you want to. Because ultimately God loves me and shows his love for me by his discipline. He is there. He's present. He's active. He's working in my life. Even though it's painful, even though he's severing limbs and disciplining me, ultimately he loves and delights in me. The next text is Hebrews 12, 8 through 11. Um, or probably a little, not, maybe more like 10. Um, he talks about, for father, we, have, we all have earthly fathers that have disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he, the father, disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. He says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful and painful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. The discipline of the Lord ultimately is for yielding fruit of righteousness. So God disciplines us as he prunes. He also brings trials our way and testings our way and things in this life that we walk into on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Here's a text in James, James 1, 2 through 4. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. As God tests us, tests our faith, ultimately as we're found faithful in that, the production of that is firmness, is steadfastness, is groundedness in God. As we're brought into greater firmness, as that increases, and in our, as our faith increases, ultimately we grow deeper in maturity and love for God. We grow deeper in faithfulness. What was once challenging, what testing was once challenging at the time as we persevere through it, the next time it's not so challenging. And as trials and testings increase in our life, our faith increases. And as our faith increases, our anxiety decreases because we trust that God is there. He's proven his faithfulness in the past. He will again prove his faithfulness in the future. And what does that do then? That increases our faithfulness. That increases our faith in him. And then he says right after that in James 1, 12, he said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So again, there's a fruit that is being birthed as we persevere and as we made, remain steadfast in our faithfulness to him. So God, God prunes us in his discipline and he prunes us by way of testings and of trials. And the last one is he prunes us so that we might increase in our effectiveness and bearing fruit. The product, the hope of as we prune apple trees, as we prune grapevines, the hope is that we might have better more fruit. And so Second Peter 1 through 5, there's a list of virtues that God is saying, increase in these. And he says, increase in your virtue of knowledge and of self-control and of steadfastness and of godliness and of brotherly love and of brotherly affection and love. He says, if all these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful 
in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God is about pruning us that we might increase in our, in our fruitfulness for him, for his glory. The hard part about pruning, as our brother Jay said, is that we don't ultimately see all the time what God is doing. We don't see the big picture of what he's doing. All we see is that our limbs are getting cut off. We're being disciplined in our sin. We're, we're, we're walking into this trial and carrying this heavy load and burden. And it's difficult at the time. But God has a bigger picture. He has a bigger plan of what he's, of what he's doing. And ultimately, we can trust in what he's doing in his work and in his will as he works it. So as we continue on now, out of that, focusing on that relationship, I don't want to skip over this. There's a curious statement here in, chapter, in verse 3. And Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. I just want to hit on that briefly. don't want to pass over that. There's some connections here between, as you think about being clean, that word clean is a cleansing. It's a made pure. You are pure. There's a purifying connection to that. And if we look over at chapter 13, verse 10 and 11, Jesus' interaction with the apostle Peter, one of his followers, he talks about how, Peter, you're, you're completely clean if I, if I wash your feet. You don't need to wash your whole body. And he says, you are clean, but not every one of you is clean, speaking to the group that he's with, including Judas, which he says right after that, the writer John says, he spoke about the one who would betray him. That's why he says, not all of you are clean. And so after this, then, there's some more interaction, and Judas, the one who betrays Jesus, ultimately leaves the room, leaves the gathering. And so Jesus enters in here, and he talks about how now you are clean. And he says, by the word I have spoken to you, you, you are clean. There's a couple portions in Scripture. Jay actually read one this morning about being, about being transformed and washed and regenerated by, by the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. But there's a couple other texts in, in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. So there's this cleansing that the Word of God does in the lives of the believers. As you think of the text about all of God's word being spoken out of his mouth in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable or useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. What's that a picture of? That's a picture of purifying. That's a picture of God changing us, making us clean, making us into something more usable to him. So that's the first point, looking at the goodness of the Father and that relationship between the Father and the Son and, and the branches. Excuse me, the vine dresser, the vine and the branches, the Father, the Son, and us as followers of Jesus. The second part, there's another part about abiding in Jesus that's specifically tied up in the relationship with Jesus. And so the point is trusting in the goodness of being in the vine. He says right away in verse 4 after this, he says, Abide in me. Now there's, two, there's only two commands in this entire text right here, and both of them are that. Abide in me. Abide in my love is what he says later on in verse 9. Let me give you a little backdrop into this. And my hope is as we, as we understand more of what's happening in this context, we can understand more of this word abiding and abiding in Jesus And so I'm asking that the Holy Spirit, even as I prayed, would just give us revelation into that. How can we live abiding in Jesus today 
How can we live in the 21st century with this, although this text was written so many years ago? And so Jesus is with his followers, as I mentioned, and this is the last few hours before ultimately he's crucified and dies. And he tells them this. He says, I'm going to be going away, and where I go, you can't come with me. Imagine that. These, these guys have spent three years with Jesus, and he says, I'm going to be leaving you, and you followed me for three years, but you can't come where I'm going. I'm going to be with the Father. And they're confused, like, what, where is he going? What is he talking about? Isn't he coming to build his kingdom? Why would he be leaving? How come we can't go with him? We've been following him for this long. Ultimately, as Jesus continues, he, he says three things to them. He says, although I am going, he says, I'm coming back for you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come for you. And he also says, I'm going to send another helper, just like myself, who will come and be with you. But not only that, he's going to be inside you and forever. He won't ever leave. And then he ultimately says this last part. He says, abide in me. He gives them two promises, declaring what will happen, giving them hope, expressing his love. And then he says, abide in me. And they understand that, as Jesus said, abide in me. understand that better than I think we do in this culture because, like I said, they lived with him. They did everything with him. They wanted to be him. And so when he said, abide in me, like, okay, even though, Jesus, you said you're going away, somehow you're going to be with me in a way that I can be with you. Not sure how exactly that's going to work, but I understand what you're saying, so I'm going to press into you more and more and live with you even now as you leave in the same way that you lived when we were together. And the, the thing that they understand that I think we miss is that this abiding piece, it's not just like, hey, I'm going to come over to Oswellers and just sit but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actively be there. I'm going to actively engage in this relationship. And that's what the word abiding is. It's, it's an active verb. It's something that calls us to do, not just to sit and to be. It's, it takes time. It takes action. And it's not something that we just do once or twice. We don't just hop in and hop out. Jesus says, I was really encouraged in a teaching of a brother kind of in this portion about this connection between what Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 11 when he said, come to me, all you who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come. And as you think about your lives, as you think about, I want you to think back, if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, think back to that time right before you saw him, right before you heard his voice and he called you. Think about that. And if maybe you're in a place right now where you're just walking through, like, I don't even know if I've heard his voice. I don't even know if I'm following him. Maybe, when you think back to that time in your life, maybe you were just in a difficult place. You were just down in the muck, just trying to survive. Maybe you were carrying a weight that was the burden that was just so heavy. You're just, I'm just so tired of carrying this. It's so wearing on me. I just want to give up. Maybe you're someone that felt so free and you just chased everything. You just chased after all the pleasures of life and you're like, I'm, if it's there, I'm going to get it. Whatever culture says, I'm going to go for it and I'm going to ultimately seek to be satisfied. I'm not going to say that, that I'm going to seek to be satisfied in those things, but that's why I'm chasing. I'm running for those things because I think that in them, ultimately, I'm going to find rest. And then, when you remember yourself in that place, then you heard the voice of Jesus. And as he spoke to you, Maybe that was the first time you met real truth. In a culture of shifting truths, cultures, in our culture, truth is always transient. It's always moving. It's never stable. 
And maybe when you met Jesus, that was the first time you said, yes, that's the truth. He's the way. I'm going to follow him. Maybe that's the first time that you were free to believe, free to not believe the lies of the culture, free to not believe the things that culture and other people have placed on you, expectations that they placed on you. And ultimately, you could say, I've met you, Jesus, and this is who you say I am. And so I'm going to believe that. Maybe for you, it was something a little different. Maybe the first time you met Jesus, the first time you heard his voice, that was the first time you heard real love. That was the first time that you, weren't, you didn't have to seek for it, but he called you, he beckoned you, and he showed you his love and washed you in that, and you knew true and real love. Jesus says in verse 9 of this text, he says, as the Father loved me, so have I loved you. With the same passion, with the same intensity, with the same pleasure that the Father loves the Son, that exact same intensity, that exact same pleasure, that exact same, um, that exact same love is what Jesus shows us. Amazing. God, the Godhead, the Father and the Son, and the love relationship that they have, and how the Father showed his love for the Son, that's exactly what he shows us. And so maybe for you, that was the first time you met Jesus, you heard his voice, and you met real love. And you were good there. It was a good place to be. And maybe for you it's slightly different. Maybe the first time you met Jesus, it was, it was real joy. The first time you met real joy. In spite of life's circumstances, in spite of the awfulness of, of the situation, in spite of the, the broken relationships, in spite, of the, in, in spite of the poor decision that you made in the, in the circumstance that you find yourself in, you, you met Jesus and all of that was sort of by the wayside because that was the first time you met real joy. And this is what he says in verse 11. After, as Jesus is teaching and speaking these things over his disciples, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that my joy might be in you, and that your joy might be full, like a net full of fish, that your joy might be full. But church, I think through the years we've, shifted our eyes away from Jesus and we've lost sight of him. Maybe you understand that I do as God even just showed me today. We've shifted our eyes off of him and we've maybe given ourselves over to passivity in the relationship. Maybe we've begun to focus on other things forgetting the one in whom called us. Maybe when we first met Jesus we were so thankful for those experiences and what God showed us and yet we think well now it's kind of like, I don't have that anymore, so I'm just going to press on and just kind of do my own thing and try to be good, and, and, and we forget what he did, and we forget his voice and what he said to us. But the same, the same Jesus who beckoned you and said, come to me, hear my voice and come to me, that same Jesus is the, same, is the one who said to us, abide in me, remain in me, be in me. He says, the freedom that you felt when you first came to me in the release of chains and sin and burden, that freedom that you felt then, I still have for you now. He says, the healing of your hearts and the healing of your bodies that you experienced when you came to me the first time, I still have that for you now. Come, be with me. 
The same Jesus who called you and said, experience the treasures of my kingdom. That's the same Jesus that says, abide in me. Experience them now. Know them. Come and be with me. Talk with me. Receive from me. Somehow we've forgotten that the Jesus who said, come to us, also said, remain. Remain and be with me. Know me. Talk with me. We understand as believers that Jesus is the righteousness of which we live in. We understand that he's given us new life, but somehow we felt like, oh, now I gotta, maybe now I've got to do it. Now, now the work begins. Okay, God, now I'm going to start doing this. And he says in verse 4, after this, if you look with me, he says, Abide me and I in you, as the fruit cannot bear, or excuse me, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He says that without me, you got nothing. There's no amount of work you can do. There's no amount of of things you can pursue. There's no amount of experiences you can have. There's no amount of years that you can live that ultimately will gain you anything apart from Jesus. There's a calling to go deeper in intimacy and in love and in relationship with him because without him we have nothing. He, he invites us into more. He invites us into, as believers now in the 21st century, what the disciples knew to be true. Abide in me. Experience me today. Somehow, even though Jesus isn't physically with us, physically somewhere, not physically with us, he also says that we can be with him. We can remain in him. We can talk with him. We can enjoy him. We can love him. So the verb, that word abide, is an action verb. And also, it's an unbroken verb. It's a verb that speaks to constant connectedness, constant relationship. And the picture that we have of Jesus talking about the vine and the branches is the father, the vine dresser, taking a, taking a dry, dead, lifeless branch and putting it into the vine and connecting it into the vine and letting the roots of that branch Go forth and letting the sap from the vine run through the life into that branch. And that's a permanent thing that God is intending. That's a permanent thing that the vine dresser is intending to do. It's not this jump into Jesus, connect to him, and then once you're in him, look at everything around you and see the grasses th- seemingly better on the other side. So we jump out and we pursue other lovers. We pursue other things that we think will really satisfy us. That's not this abiding picture that we have here. This abiding picture is connected and permanent. It's also, this, this picture is also not one where we come and say, Oh, Jesus, I need you now. I'm good now. I need you now. I'm good now. I need you now. It's not coming to him when we think we need him because it's realizing that without him, we actually have zero. We have nothing. Every moment that we're away from him, every, every moment that we're separated from him, the sap, the, the sap of the vine, the life-giving sap of the vine ultimately is not coming in, is not reviving us is not keeping us alive. And ultimately, he says in verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. He's not only saying without me, you got nothing, and you, 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 you can produce nothing, but he even paints a more grim picture of what that would look like apart from Jesus as we're apart from him. And he says that there is no protection for you. There's no savior for you. There's no hope apart from me. But for those in Jesus, 
continuing to seek him, continuing to abide in him. There is protection. There is a savior. There is one who has given us hope and is our hope. So as we think about this abiding piece, there's two questions that come to my mind. What is that? How do I do that? How do I abide in Jesus? And the second question is, what would my life look like if I'm abiding in Jesus? And so scripture speaks to this specifically in a few different areas, but I'm just going to go through a couple, and it'll give us a picture of what it means to, to abide in Jesus. And he says in verse, 1 John 4.15, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. There's a prerequisite to abiding in Jesus that must take place before anything can happen. And that's a confession that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a believing in who he is, ultimately. The second text is John 15.10. So this same portion of scripture, right after Jesus speaks about the love that, he, that the Father has for him and he has for his disciples, he says this, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This isn't us doing our own thing. Abiding in Jesus in that action is, okay, Jesus, what do you have for me? I want to seek to live that way. I want to seek to, to follow your commands. I want to seek to follow you, Lord Jesus. Because in that, I'm confident that I'm abiding in you. I'm hearing from you. You're changing me. And then he says in 1 John three twenty four, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. There's a call to walk in obedience. And in that, that's a way that we abide. And then the last one that I have is 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If we want to abide in Jesus, we need to love one another. If we can't love one another, there is no abiding. We can't deceive ourselves. We could maybe deceive ourselves, but God isn't deceived. And so in order to abide in Jesus, part of that is loving God, loving one another. So you think about how do I do this? How do I abide in Jesus, practically speaking? Think about a relationship. What do you do in a relationship? Well, you talk. You talk to one another. Talk to Jesus. Spend time talking with him. Don't let it be a one-sided conversation. Okay, here's, how, here's everything, Jesus. I got five minutes. I'm just going to pour it all out to you. Take it all. Let it be a two-way street like normal relationships where you can listen. Jesus, speak to me. There's a, there's a text of scripture that I've wrestled with for a long time. And there was a morning where I just, okay, God, I'm coming up to that text again. And I, I don't have any idea what it's talking about. Would you just teach me? Show me? Give, me? give me eyes to see the things I have not seen. Bring me to a place where I can understand this. And when I understand it, that I can begin to live it. Let Jesus speak to you. Let him lead you into his word. Let him bring to mind scriptures. When you're discouraged, that speak life into you. And set aside time to be with him. Don't let it just be running all the time. But take some time and say, okay, I'm going to be with you. I'm gonna, I want to abide with you, Jesus, right now. This is my abiding time. Not that it's not as we go. Obviously, we said it's a constant connection. But yet, I'm just going to be with you, Jesus, now here. I'm going to spend time with you. In worship, thinking about that this morning. I'm just going to worship you, Jesus. I'm just going to speak of who you are. I'm going to speak of your beauty. I'm going to speak of your glory and your majesty. 
I'm just going to declare those things to you. I maybe open the word and say, okay, I'm just going to speak these things to you. This is who you are. And this is how you view me. This is how you look at me with pleasure and joy, Jesus. Enjoy him. Take time to enjoy him. So that's how we abide in him. And then what would my life look like if I abide? This is, a, this is an awesome picture. We have, the, we have the vine on one side, and we have the branch, who is us, and then we have the fruit that's being produced. And so we're right in the center. The, the life of the vine is flowing through us, ultimately for what? For the life of the branch? Well, maybe in part, but more so what? It's for the fruit. It's that what, is, what God is sending out through the branch is going for the benefit of the fruit, not for the benefit of the leaves, not for the benefit of the bark, but more so for the fruit. And so we have three things, a life of service. If I want to live this way, what will my life look like? A life of service. I exist to serve the vine and what he's producing. Through me, he is willing to produce fruit, to let the sap flow through me. And so I'm in the position, the glorious position of bearing the fruit that Jesus is producing and holding that. We're in relation together. It's a life of sacrifice. As a branch, I have no other purpose than to be used for the vine to accomplish his purposes, even as Jay was saying this morning. We're about the purposes of God, and he's using us, if we're willing, as a branch to bring forth his purposes, to bear the fruit that he desires. I'm in the position of walking sacrificially. God, use me. Whatever you desire to teach me, whatever you desire to give to me, let that go forth through me for the benefit of the fruit, for the benefit of people around me. As Jesus is teaching me about generosity, as he's teaching me about love, what, is, what do those things do? All those things come through me and flow out over the people around me. That's the branch. That's the picture of the branch that Jesus is giving to us. And ultimately, it's a life of humility. As a branch does not exist, exist for its own purposes. Apart from, the branch, apart from the vine, he's got nothing. The sole purpose of being connected to the vine is for the will of the vine, for what the vine wants to produce. And so we make our sub, ourselves subjected Excuse me, we make ourselves subject to the vine and we're in a position of surrender. And in all these positions, we are at the expense and benefit of King Jesus. It's our joy to be used by Jesus as he sends forth through us to bear fruit to the world and changing us. As we said, God, God prunes us and changes us into something that will produce more. And at the same time, at the same time, God is sending through us the things that are to be a benefit to the people around us and so be used by him. And so in closing, consider the life of being in Jesus, the activity of being in Jesus. Maybe for you, you're like, I, I hear that text about you saying, come to me, but I, I don't know. I don't know you. I, I haven't heard that voice. Jesus, speak to me. I want to hear it. I want to come to you. I want to come to you. I want to give you everything that I have which is nothing. I want to give you all of my burdens and hurts and all my shame. And I'm just going to come to you and let you change me. And maybe many of you have been in that place where, like, I've, I've heard that voice. But I, somehow along the way, I've, I've taken my eyes and focused on something else. Jesus, you call me to abide in you. I want to come to you. I want to be with you. I want to fix my eyes upon you and what you have for me. And so Jesus says, come, abide in me. 
be with me, talk with me, remain in me, be used by me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you place us as your bride in a position of the branch. That you love us. And that you desire to extend through us things to the outside world, things to those who don't know you. You desire to, through us, change us that we might produce more for your glory ultimately, God, for your purposes, for your kingdom. So we thank you that you give us such a glorious position to be in you, Lord Jesus, to find our life in you, to find our joy, our love, truth in you. We thank you that you call us to abide. It's in your name, Jesus, that we desire to walk in obedience and desire to abide in you. Ultimately, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.